You're listening to the Four Five Exchange Podcast. My name is Trent Gregoria. Today's guest is Guy Petros. This is a pretty wild intro because we just literally finished recording today. Guy is a music photographer from London who is based here in New York. And trust me when I say you are familiar with his work. He's one of the first photographers who inspired me to become a photographer. And the fact that they call him a friend is something that truly means the world to me. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about his career as well as the details about his first solo exhibition. The show is called Honor by Artist Who Fell Down Upon Us. The exhibition showcases the minor love era of acclaimed musician slash visual artist Adam Green, a close friend of Guy's. The opening night of the show is tonight at the Morrison Hotel Gallery at 7 p.m. right here in New York City. It's the 405 Exchange with Guy Appel. I fell into a life of leisure. I saw to a path of pleasure. So hey, go. Hi. <laughs> sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm here. I'm present and ready. How are you doing? I'm great. It's lovely to see your face. It's to lovely be honest. to see your face. It's been a while, man. It has. Do we? Can we actually find a concise timeline of when when we saw each other last? I don't. I actually don't think so. But I want to say it's actually been longer than like. It's been. I think it's been plural years or something. Like. I think it might have been because. Obviously, I had a child, <laughs> but um, and that probably goes across the board for most people in my life that I haven't seen for a while. But you know, once you're in person, you're gazing in each other's eyes across the table. <laughs> it all comes flooding back. Yeah. But yeah, no, I was looking on the fridge actually because uh, we had a photo taking an event. Oh yeah, that I've had up for years, and now I'm like trying to find it, but. My kid has probably knocked off at least fifty percent of those. <laughs> it's Unless it's the hidden one in my wallet. <laughs> yeah, we're sat here in your apartment, which you lovely, uh, lovely allowed me to come in to do this chat with you. Uh, especially the main crux, because you have like a exhibition we do on Thursday. Correct. Yes, yes. we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, I've been excited to do this talk for a while, man. If I'm being honest with you, because. This uh, podcast show has been going on for about two years now. Congrats. And thanks, man. Yeah, when it first kicked off, I made a list of people I knew I wanted to talk to. And I don't know why it took me so long to finally get to sit down with you, but you were on that initial list of like people I knew I'd have to chat with. Yeah, we're neighbors, guys, and this guy, he's just up the block, but always <laughs> avoiding me on the street. Yeah, that's how we would describe a New York relationship. <laughs> uh, but for people listening who might not know, which might be a fair amount of them, is that like... Like, it, it's always meant a lot to me being able to call you a friend because when I was in uni back in, like, uh, 28 and 20... Uh, well, 2008, 2009. I just realized if I say 28, it sounds mm. like 208. Yeah. When I was in college in those years and I... Don't confuse the Brits. Yeah. You don't want to confuse the Brits there, <laughs> yeah. When I first got into music photography, the first people's work I ever saw on a consecutive basis was yours and Danny North's. And... 
the feeling that I got from looking at both of your work, uh, like day after day, mm-hmm. was just like I didn't know you could do these things with a camera. Oh man, that warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> to be fair, um, but I think that's yeah. You know, I think that's been an important theme in my photographic journey. Is that you got to recognize people that came before, and you want to collaborate, and you want to be inspired and inspire them back. Because uh, you know, I was younger and have been in that situation and for me Andrew Kendall was a big factor in that who's also a part of our the old enemy days with Danny North as you mentioned and myself and Tom Oxley and Andrew Kendall uh, um, and now Andrew Whitten who's well um, yeah, who's doing legends. great stuff yeah. but um, yeah I, I would be like exactly the same way and I feel like you gotta give it's not even respect like it's just awareness and like if you're you know looking who's around you right now and who's like on the forefront and you know that doesn't last forever but yes basically I concur it's like um, I think we've all done and been through is to like see the people around you that are being prolific and, and want to get up onto that kind of level too but um you know you're you're a name in your own right now too so you've done that and that's great oh thanks man that means a lot coming for you like <laughs> you know it's gonna sound like i'm just like buttering up and bullshitting you but um i always try to find very um specific reasons to tell people um answers to questions and like you know naturally the question of like what makes new york a special place and like you could describe different places, you could describe like different attributes to things, but um, one of the things I always go back to when people ask me that is that you could find yourself feeling very inspired by an individual and then somewhere along the way that person will become your friend. And I always bring up you in that sense where I was like, if I would have went and told my 19-year-old self that this guy's gonna become your friend, I'd be like, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you talking about? But it's one of the beautiful things about being in a city like this where it's just like, no matter where you go, there's not really much barrier of entry in regards to interacting with people. Yeah, I, is it unique to New York or is it just unique to like the music photography world that we live in? And I'm sure every industry has it, those levels of it, but we are like a little family and the music world can be considered big and large because it's worldwide now with the internet, but whatever city you're in, you are drawn to each other because you see each other on the regular, in the pit or whatever, yeah. and we are all... Um, taking images of the same artists but yeah um, I feel like the inclusiveness of the indie world or the music worlds whatever division you're in is uh, a wonderful thing and like I would have felt like an arsehole upon meeting you who's a lovely person and uh, not giving you know like why wouldn't I give you the time of day and like try to like what's the word um inspires too heavy uh you know like guide, guide you a little bit you know yeah. with the, the previous knowledge that i had gained and that probably in part came from other photographers older than me as well but yeah. uh yeah when i first joined enemy actually it was like a big clear out so we were the first bunch of the digital age photographers and the previous generation with the old film guys had kind of like walked away in disgust because as we all know each generation the rates go down yeah uh, what you're paid for shooting and 
living that life and consuming that life fully. Um, so, the, yeah, I think our editor at the time, Marianne Patterson, uh, was kind of like stoked to have a bunch of new kids who were probably more, um, less affected and maybe a bit naive at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, man, I mean, it's generational, isn't it? And I'm sure it goes with the same with bands too. It's like if you're in a band and you're in this genre and then one of the bands you look up to in that genre take you under their wing or make you feel welcome at the very least, then it's like a big, uh, big deal. And yeah, I'm glad that I could be one of the people that made you feel welcome. I do appreciate that. And that's such a good point. I, I naturally always attribute it to like, you know, the location of the city, but the aspect of like, you know, the field being peers in that sense, like, because it's something I just didn't think of past a very uh, deeper level, but I'm glad the way you were able to put that. Um, yeah, welcome. Yeah. So one of the big things I knew I want to ask you about before we went into anything else, and I'm going to diverge now to talk a bit about you so that way people who are listening, especially British people, don't think I'm just seamlessly jerking you off under the table. Okay. Um, <laughs> Either of which would be fine. <laughs> well, one of the things that's pretty wild is that we've known each other for some years now, and I weirdly don't know how you got into photography. I don't know how both it became an interest of yours and how it became the focal point of your life. So tell me, how did that happen? Oh, man, we're going, we're going real far back now. Um, <laughs> So, 15 years, I guess. Wait, I'm 39. Birthday cards can be sent to, uh, well, send them to Ken and he'll forward them to me. Um, <laughs> and I promise you, this man doesn't look old, any older than 32. Oh, shucks. Um, <laughs> well, if we go all the way back, it would be 2004. I had just left a chapter of my life behind that was totally opposite to where I find myself in now, or we find ourselves in now, but, um, you know, still a young 20-something trying to find himself and lacking direction, but eventually, I think we all did, like, high school photography where we did a bit of darkroom and a bit of shooting and stuff, but I kind of left it in that realm and then got reinterested in the early digital era of crappy DSLRs, um, but yeah, yeah, making a crappy DSLR work with like, you know, a tiny ISO range and like whatever 50 millimeter lens you could afford at the time and getting something out that was so inspiring or like exciting that that spurred me on initially to be like, okay, this is a hobby that I enjoy and I have a lot of friends in bands in that early UK indie scene um, that are playing constantly so let me go document them and you know it was so natural because it's friends and it was like the access is there so that automatically makes you more kind of comfortable um, but yeah it was a very quick process for me from taking it from a hobby to like it being professional it was probably like 10 months that I picked up a camera in and went vigorously shooting every night of the week two night two gigs a, a night sometimes depending on what was going on but London at that time was blowing up with 
the Libertines, Baby Shambles, Art Brew, uh, Black Wire. There was there was just you know we were inundated with like amazing bands. I, I thought that was gonna last forever yeah. in my naivete, but um, <laughs> yeah, London at that time was very welcoming and people made an effort they went out and got dressed up and looked good and like it was a scene and it wasn't hard to like delve into it and once you were there and you were accepted it was just kind of a given and then you were like oh this guy the guy at the show is taking photos so it was really like a happy accident I guess that became I recognized the seriousness seriousness of it very early on and wanted to plow ahead but still didn't know where that would end up you know yeah that's so wild to me when you look back can you remember the first gig you shot on like a proper assignment like yeah. after like those 10 months and that I can because I was just thinking about this the other day <laughs> um, and it was actually Block Party who you went to see oh, yeah. a, a couple of nights ago yeah uh, three nights ago at Central Park there wow and they played their debut album Yes, uh, Silent Alarm in full, which is really cool. They did something cool where, um, and this made me really keen for the gig, uh, they, instead of playing it front to back, they played it back to front. Ah, nice. Yeah, okay, good I thought. think I heard that. Um, it just wasn't described as eloquently. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, Block Party, I got a feature for at Dingwalls, which is an old Camden venue that's been there for years if there's any older listeners on they would have been very well versed with that and the whole 70s 80s scene in Camden um, and yeah you know didn't even have a flash using available light like just in a dingy basement and like you make it work because you're like this is important and I've got to make this happen somehow Yeah. and then the live show so it was like portraits live show bit of reportage but yeah the person who gave me my first feature with block party at dingles is a amazing editor called uh taylor glasby originally from australia and she uh she took a shine or like believed in me and like gave me those early opportunities so yeah pre-enemy days i was doing a few features for them and my first print publication was through them. That's pretty mega. Do you remember how you felt? How I felt? I yeah, felt, like that night. Okay, this is a thing that I think might be the same for you. But that first getting on the rung of the ladder and like having that under your belt, like, okay, I've done my first feature. It's printed in paper. It lasted a while, like that, that feeling of exuberance and then every time I would get a feature or publish afterwards it would become less and less which sounds bizarre I guess but you're like trying to fill that void and the feeling would, would become less but not less than like the less the way you're proud of it but you're craving that next shoot to get in print again yeah and like fulfill or tick that box that you'd set yourself of like I want to be Bonafide. I want to be legit. I want to be like doing this on the regular. Yeah. No, I could definitely relate to that, especially in the sun. I was actually talking to someone about this uh, a few days ago, and I was saying how like I would commit to kind of like moving the goalposts, but within the context of your own head and doing it to yourself. Where it's like, I've had it where friends pointed out to me where I've achieved this really cool thing, 
but I'm still focused on what has to come next. Yeah. There's like no acknowledgement to the present. Yeah. Well, there's a thing about resting on your laurels, I guess, as well for us. And it's like you never want to take anything for granted or get jaded, which is something I've seen in many journalists and photographers over the years that after a certain amount of time, they're just like, they're jaded. And it's sad to see because it probably takes away from what they were trying to achieve in the first place. But Yeah, no, I've been seeing that loads, especially at festivals, like, Sometimes you'll see it where it's like someone's at a festival and all, the only uh, feeling they're exhuming out there is not wanting to be there, which is always like a weird <laughs> contrast and a feel where everyone's kind of so smiley. Um, you know, one of the things that really um, stuck out to me when I first found your work was that um, you're already touring with Axe at that time. And I remember uh, by the time I found your work, I did re- learn and understand that, okay, people could photograph bands, but... It took me to like being a 19 year old to realize that you could actually travel with them as well. And I remember that was such an interestingly weird but amazing concept to me. Like, wait, you could travel for band and take pictures. What was even your first tour? Because I don't think we've ever actually talked about that. My first tour, and yes, definitely I agree with everything you just said prior to that. Um, and I was fortunate again that it was a snowball effect, so everything happened quite quickly after deciding to take it seriously. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was off my own volition. But then once I got in with NME, that definitely just helped, like, speed everything up, you know. Um, but prior to that, I was on tour with an uh, old school friend, actually, of the name Anthony Ellis, who uh, had a band called The Five O'Clock Heroes. That's an amazing name. Taken from the title of a uh, Springsteen... Uh, Dylan Springsteen song I have to ask him but uh, they were opening for bands like The Bravery Albert Hammond Jr so my first official tour was Five O'Clock Heroes supporting Albert Hammond Jr in Europe for his first solo record Albert's first solo record that's incredible and you still know Albert to this day which is pretty wild yeah um, yeah it's it was uh it was pretty instant connection with Alba, which was nice, and um, to get that cool, all that green light, being like, yeah, you've been like invited on tour, was definitely a, a massive thing at the time. And you're like, oh, it's Alba from the Strokes, even though it's like Albert's doing his solo thing, and yeah. that's what you kind of like are respecting, because that's got to be brave for a Stroke to like embark on their own thing when you've had like this core group of friends and you've done everything together and then suddenly you're like wait let me have a go at this yeah and it was a hell of a tour (laughs) it was uh, a little bit of the uk and mostly europe and it's so sick man it was 2005 or six so it was still the glory days of music or at least the budgets and like the ferventness of the crowds and yeah yeah you know like it's kind of interesting because like i've been thinking about this a lot particularly like you know yesterday having gone to the mimi in the bathroom exhibit and i think about your exhibit that's coming up that's essentially like you know a documentation of a time when you look back on that time like that tour with um albert and your friend's band five o'clock heroes again really great name did it feel like you were in a moment in time like i don't know it's a silly thing to ask but like 
did it feel like you were in a time that was going to be very like specific? Well, let me put it this way, which I guess is the quickest and easiest way of answering it. I just sent out a bunch of emails today for the aforementioned show on Adam Green, The Mine of Love Years, which will be at the Morrison Hotel Gallery on the 26th of September. Um, it was... Yeah, I, I emailed a friend, Hardeep Full, who was uh, another ex-enemy writer who's now based in LA. And I know Hardeep, but yeah. he's a really good friend of mine, yeah. Right. So there you go, more family vibes. Yeah. He wrote back a quintessentially English email, <laughs> and it started by being like, mate, something like along the lines of this. I, I can actually just read it for a uh, for people who don't know him, he's an incredible writer, and he's someone who has like I would say arguably some of the best humor. Oh I yeah, can think of. I concur. So here we go from Hardy. <laughs> uh, today at five eleven, subject matter is Giza exclamation. <laughs> so it's only a short paragraph. Let me read it. But it <laughs> no, goes, please do. Congrats on your ex- exhibit, mate. This is. Uh, Slight Coventry accent that I can't really do very well. But really happy to hear. Amazing, innit? The stuff we did when we were kids is now art gallery worth. We're part of rock and roll history. <laughs> I'm cool with it. They were good days. Um, did you come across any pics of me with my massive hair in your archives? Ha! <laughs> and then he goes on to say some personal stuff. But um, oh, That's amazing. Yeah, so... I, in answer to your question... Uh, that particular tour with Albert, um, no, not at all. I didn't realize this, the significance of it. And, you know, I probably didn't shoot in moments that I could have because I had like carte blanche to like, you're here, you're on tour, you're documenting. Yeah. And knowing the tour manager and the, uh, the drum tech, Matt Romano and Richard Priest, sorry, tour manager. Um, yeah, I probably refrained somewhat and was just in the moment, like as an individual, trying to enjoy that too. But in hindsight, I should have maybe been more active. But it's like, yeah, I had no clue or inclination that that would be the start of this big merry-go-round. But um, I think what I'm trying to say is that yeah, you should never take anything for granted, and you don't know how long anything's gonna last for. And, when someone or an entity has given you that like, ability to be around them and document, you take every moment you can. So. No, you really need to. I mean, I, I'm going to go into the next question before I do, just going off what you said. There's been times I've had, uh, when I've been on tour, where I've, it's going to sound so silly for someone listening, but it's good to bring it up to you because I almost feel like you're going to be able to like kind of confirm or call me crazy. But there's been times where I've been on tour, I'm so engaged in a conversation or so engaged with like being present I'll almost like forget for a moment I'm a photographer, even if the camera is in my hand. I think that's a good thing because that means you feel like fully accepted, and as we do what we do, you're you're aware that you're like maybe, you know, you're there as an invite guest, but you're also trying to be like in the background somewhat and like not tread on toes. But yeah, you need to you need to like grab those moments when you can but at the same time like you said I have so many um, variations of that memory in my mind of like being on those tours and like being like no you know what 
there's there's a moment there I should probably grab a this is important just as important to me because what's it you know what's this all based on it's based on the trust of the artist to, for you towards you yeah to do the right thing and like you know sometimes it, it's worth more to like have that conversation or that moment rather than take that photo so I, I believe in the long term and yeah you know you shouldn't have to be so um feeling like oh man like this is never going to happen again because you got to believe in yourself and like if if you're there on tour already then it means you're probably going to likely get invited back again at some point so yeah that's a good point i'm going to do my best to remember that um can you go into what music journal journalism means for you um i mean particularly like the work you've done with enemy and q magazine i mean for me it's iconic i'm sure there's people listening who you know what I love about the right now is that there's people listening who might be going like, "Who is this guy?" And then they'll probably Google you. <laughs> they'll Google you, and they'll be like, "He took that shot, that shot, that shot." Well, they've That's been in their right minds. So, you know. <laughs> but just tell me, like, what has it been? What does it mean for you being able to having the chance to have worked for these magazines and pretty much, you know, create a voice within them, your own voice within them? Yeah, I mean, man, massively, massively important and never to be understated. Um, especially in this time of like them going out of business and like you know institutions like we already talked about NME, Melody Maker, Spin, uh, Sounds Magazine like the plethora of them that are not there anymore and I feel like in the older days before internet Mark 2 or whatever in now Mark 4 but, um, <laughs> you only had that outlet to find like who, what these bands even look like you know like fanzines and and the uh, institutional magazines that we just mentioned but um, yeah for me to end up at NME was a huge moment because it's an entity you look up to and are aware of its history because as you're growing up you've got all your mates and cousins or whoever like with posters from NME um, on their walls emblazoned with The Cure or whatever area you're from you know what I mean um, and one day you might look up and be like yeah I want to do that but does it ever you know how do you get to that point but having got there and contributing regularly on a weekly basis at least for NME for nine and a half years with a core team around you um, that you work with regularly and the publicists and you know it was like I'm alluding back to this like music industry small world mentality in the best possible way um, yeah it was like you're you're gonna be a voice of your generation somewhat so you gotta take that opportunity and, and like go full throttle and and realize the the um, what's the word the um the importance of giving that role because it could have gone whatever factoring reasons it could have ended up with someone else and they got that gig and then that was their life and it wasn't yours but once you're in there and like proving yourself as much as you can to your editors but yeah understanding that wow enemy is i had that some amount of this readership one hundred twenty thousand a week um how many eyes are seeing your work and uh, yeah it was I think if you didn't take it seriously then you're kind of a 
bit of a fool, really. Um, however, magazines are struggling these days, but I still feel every time I'm published that I'm like, I love what I do and, and I hope that what I've shot comes across in a positive way for that band and A, you want them to be like proud of you or like happy with the shots you've done and then you want their fans even more importantly to be like oh yeah this like because it's exactly how we see this band in our eyes and they've been like covered well um but I'm probably rambling now. Anyway, <laughs> no, but that's what this essential, like this type of medium is for. It's for rambling. It's always good. Um, let's go into your upcoming show. Uh, I'm, let's see if I can do this correctly. Yeah, honor with honest. He fell down upon us. Did I get it right? That is right. That is a, a line from one of the songs on the album that resonate with me because talking about honor, I was like, man, Adam Green this coolest cat one of the coolest people in New York and just prolific in his artistry and his ways and so engaging if you've been around him and listened to him like he's just stunning in all walks of life and what he does but um, we came up with that title because it was a lyric and felt that it was apt and it was kind of me giving him like a, a props and he's so humble that he might not have even realized it, but I try to make it obvious. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a long title. It's Sorry. A good no, it's a good title. It's a good title. Uh, there's going to be an intro, and you mentioned it already like about 10 minutes ago, but it definitely is good to mention this again a third time. But um, you'll be showcasing photos of Adam Green at the Morrison Hotel Gallery. The big obvious question, and I had to ask it, why now? What made you want to do a gallery show? Because I believe this is your first. It is. My first solo show. And um, I guess I can be blunt and honest. But I'm, yeah. Um, um, yeah uh, my girlfriend, uh, now fiance. Sorry, this is going out live to the, <laughs> this is going to, to the, the nation. World. But this is, she might... <laughs> not appreciate this but to the um, nation worldwide (laughs) worldwide worldwide we have listeners in fucking Australia so oh well I have to give a shout out to my friends gang of youths and anyone who likes them oh this is a bit of an aside please hold on to that thought but I'm glad you brought them up so I worked the festival uh, Boston Calling in May it's the only festival I worked this year I was doing a series of talks while I was there they were the first band and I noticed you did photos of them so like right at the start I mentioned like yeah I remember I saw that my friend did photos of you they're like who I said your name and they gave me the biggest fucking <laughs> hug and they had some of the classes guys their oh performance was amazing I love them the best their success could not have happened to like a better bunch of people all of them uh, Chachi David Young Max um, Donnie they're all super beautiful people but uh, we'll touch on them again later yeah yeah shout um, out to Gang of Youths yes. yeah big up Gang of Youths um, but yes back to your show this, the reason for it right um, so yeah no essentially my girlfriend gave me the kick up the ass that I needed uh, fiance, fiance. <laughs> thank you it's still fresh it's, it's, still it's, fresh. it's very new it's very new um, <laughs> congratulations so thank you thank you um, yeah you will be invited to the New York shindig oh hey but uh, the yeah, the wedding's actually gonna happen. She's from the south of France, so 
couldn't really say no to that. No, um, absolutely. But yes, yeah, so her kick up my backside was vital uh, because I'm sitting on an archive of many years and, you know, yeah, sometimes you maybe lack the confidence to, to think of things that you would be accepted wholly, but you're just like, nah, don't want to bother anybody, you know, it's like, <laughs> they're busy. But Adam's a really good friend and we've been through a lot together over the years and experienced a lot. And I was like, to my fiance, T, <laughs> what do you think about this? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. So I was like, all right, let me talk to Adam. And uh, it was out on a bar crawl that he organizes every few months that we're on. And just took him aside and was like, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And he was like, oh man, I'm like stoked on that idea. So once the eyes gives you the go ahead, you're like, okay, now I'm going to run with this. I'm going to do everything to make this happen. Yeah. And we were lucky that uh, we had a contact with Morrison Hotel Gallery and um, I believe Adam had done a show there before, very early on in his new artistic career. And they were on board and then once that was like a thing, I was like, alright, well we're going to hustle and make this just happen. Um, with his support he's been very kind where he's like uh, you know you have a catalogue for the exhibition and it's got all the images and the captions and like background so he's donated like drawings of his as well into that and he's done so much to make it like viable so that's been amazing and yeah now it's just like we're doing it and it's <laughs> a few days away and suddenly it's like reality I know you can't see behind the clothes horse of new laundry, but there's a bunch of <laughs> frames there waiting to be filled. Oh, um, so yeah, very excited and just honestly, I couldn't be more stoked for my first solo New York exhibition to be on Adam Green and with his blessing and a collaboration essentially. So, yeah, that's amazing. You know, and the on the cusp of touching on uh, on the cusp of you talking there you kind of touched on everything I was going to ask in relation to this show essentially but like I do want to say that is a beautiful thing where it's like there are artists that have relationships with where I find it very um, personable and it means a lot to me but for you to have this relationship with Adam and being able to physically manifest it into a show like that like that's really a special thing oh man it's going to go down for me and I hope Adam too, but maybe on a slightly lesser level because he does a lot of these and he's prolific. But yeah, I think it was, uh, not just a fond memory, but like something we can be proud of. And I represent him hopefully in the best light possible and he's happy with that. And Yeah, I mean, damn, Adam Green, it's like, he's fucking legend. Like, he's like, you've seen him play. You, yeah. you at the, the Rough Trade Show? Not no, I wasn't. Not the most recent one, but I have seen him play over the years. The biggest, I think it was the first time I saw him. It's, that sticks out in my mind was he was opening up for the Cribs at Irving Plaza, and I want to say it was like twenty ten. Yeah, so like this is what that whole tour is based around that era. Oh, is it? It's the Minor Love record that he asked me to shoot the cover for, which, which is again, a beautiful cover. Thank you. Yeah, it means a lot. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, not to segue, but that, just to be asked to do that for me is like kind of the most important thing you can do in music photography is to like have album covers and like the artists like genuinely love them. 
Yeah. But um, and that's something you can literally give to your kids or like show them at least and be like, I did do something with my life. I yeah. didn't waste it. He's uh, being very modest though, because he's also done covers with Delicate Steve, uh, Franz Ferdinand, which that that's the cover for my favorite album of theirs, which is really funny. And um, how did that cover even come about, that Franz one? Oh my god, that came around in literally about twenty minutes of texting. Are you fucking serious? It was. This is what I love about what we do. That some can be really planned out and like thought about for months, and it's going back and forth with like, especially major labels. They tend to like want to always stick their oar in and like oversee. Where it's normally better just to let the artists come up with their thing and like yeah. you know let it be genuine. But so I was living in North Greenpoint at the time. Now I'm living in. South, southern Greenpoint. Yeah, that, um, I guess that's, yeah, that's yeah. apt. One side. McCarran's right over there. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> but I was living north with um, my oldest friend in New York, Jenny Alescu, who is an ex Rolling Stone cover feature writer and now is a serious XM. She has her own show, shows, I should say, plural. Um, and Alex Capranos texted me on a flip phone <laughs> 2009 I guess and was like guy I want, uh, I'm, this is what I loved actually about the whole concept that he was like we want uh, our photographer friends from each continent or I should say region is probably more had to shoot the singles for the the record and we haven't really decided who's going to do the cover yet but kind of <laughs> like are you available and I was like thinking Oh, it's like Sunday night. I'm like coaching, like at home <laughs> on the sofa, probably watching Seinfeld with Jenny, and smoking some great sativa. Um, <laughs> and I, I didn't really kind of grasp what Alex was saying, the immediacy of it. So I was like, oh well, yeah, let me check my diary and like, uh, I don't know, two days. And he's like, no, 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 let's do it now. And I was like, I kind of love that because I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm doing nothing. I mean, not nothing. I'm watching Seinfeld with Jenny. This is very important. One it's of the like, best shows of all time for anyone listening. Yeah. Larry David's King. Anyway, continue. Sorry, sorry. Oh, Larry David. What a man. Um, <laughs> so we, I rather told Jenny, all right, I'm, I'm going out. Capranos is down the road. So we were literally three blocks away. He, he has a place in Greenpoint. And he's like, yeah, come over and we'll like figure it out. And I went over and uh, got dressed, went over took the camera obviously and uh, he described the concept which is all black and white and like traumatic kind of imagery uh, but based around the city we were in and I was like yeah I think I, I, think I can do that and um, <laughs> we're like let's go down the street and it was so fortuitous that we literally left his house and we walked left and a block away and this might sound bad to some people thinking about it now before I say it, but there was an, a, there was a, there was an ambulance on the street and oh. we were like, that's pretty New York. And uh, Alex had such an idea in his head that he made my job a lot easier because I was like, okay, well, what should, how should we utilize this ambulance and the flashing lights and the, the dead looking street? And he was like, I'm going to lay down right in front of the ambulance and... Uh, guys to the rest of the band like do you want to maybe like uh jump over me or stand around or like we'll figure it out <laughs> as we go and we had about five minutes 
while the ambulance was still there dealing with some probably Polish inebriated person as you know from living in Greenpoint it's a common thing um, it's hilarious how you tried your best not to make that sound bad you made it sound worse but <laughs> <laughs> yeah I really did I was like looking for the the, <laughs> the little pocket there yeah but um, yes yeah, so it was done in about five minutes and that's hilarious I was like should we do maybe we should do some ex- ex- like extra shots back at you and honestly we reviewed the photos and we're just like Oh no, we got this. It's done. So it was like a wrap. It was probably yeah the quickest and most easiest uh, simple concept that we managed to just like bash out and complete in literally under five minutes. So. That's amazing. Like, and what, what was the space of time between that ending and you finding out it was going to be used for the cover? I, uh, well, this was an occasion. I'd say it's like a fifty. 50, no, maybe a 60 40 split with my album covers. The 60% of the time they were like, We're gonna do this, this the like, can you be a part of it? And the 40% was like off the cuff, and it just ended up a shot being used, yeah, um, by the artist after they'd seen it after the fact, yeah. But this was a very much a case of like, Let's do this, so we got this amount of time, let's make it happen, and we just did. and then up being the cover. A little bit of luck and a little bit of like, you know, timing. And there it is. Uh, yeah, it's that's the story behind <laughs> the Franz Ferdinand Ulysses cover. Yeah. Um, going back to the show that you'll be doing at the Morrison Gallery Hotel. Oh, is it Hotel Gallery? Morrison Hotel Gallery. It is. There we go. Uh I mean, you've you've gone into quite a bit of depth about your relationship with Adam, but I wonder when you were reviewing the photos from that time uh, for the show, was there anything that surprised you? Because I mean, the thing, the reason I kind of asked that is because prior to becoming a photographer, I honestly didn't have any context or understanding about how photos can conjure emotions. Mm-hmm. I understand you. I always understood you could look at a photo and like or dislike it, but. I had no understanding that you could feel someone looking at it. And yeah. that's almost doubly so if you're the one who's taken it. So what has it been like for you to like review these photos that you were going to choose to be on the show? Honestly, um, and again, the credit should really go to Adam and just how welcomed I felt. Um, and to put it in context, we'd met in 2000 and... I had the end of 2005, beginning of 2006. He had played a show at the old Camden Palais, which is now called Coco's in, in Camden. Um, and Carl Barat from the Libertines came out and played. And I had such a relationship with that venue that I was able to come and go as I pleased. And it was almost like a second home. And Enemy also did a club night there where they put on three bands and there'd be DJs and after show parties and all that. Um, so at Coco one night after Adam's show, just talking hang out and I guess that was the the moment where we became like more than just subject and artist or, or like sorry he's the subject I'm the shooter where we bonded but um yeah so ever since that day he made me feel so welcome in his fold that it was quick that I became friends with the uh, the band and his manager and the other friends that you already had at that time but um 
so when I came to review them 10 years later, the most pleasing thing was that I was like, oh, finally, these have been sitting on a hard drive for this long. And I think The Guardian did a little tour diary spread at the time, but never saw it in print myself. But um, yeah. when I, yeah, reviewed the photos, honestly, and I'm, this is very unlike me to say this, but it's coming out. I was like, these are great photos, man. <laughs> like, anyone who knows me knows I never brag and I'm very, make a point of being humble because that's just not my, my vibe. Um, I know that I'm not confident, but I just don't like to talk about myself a lot, even though we're doing a podcast. Now. Yeah, I was um, gonna say, like, um, but it's now is the time. Finally, I'm going to be that guy. So big myself up. But yeah, I looked at the photos and I was like, man, these are great fucking photos. Like, um, I, I, yeah, if I was looking at these in someone else's shot, I might be like, fair play. You really like got in there and, and captured the essence of that time. So that gave me so much like belief in the, like we got made this happen. Um, that it, it probably spurred me on to like, approach Adam and the gallery and be like, yeah, like, we want to make this a thing. What do you think? <laughs> does that answer the question? No, essentially it does. I mean, that's a feeling. Looking at your own photos and really, like, these are great fucking photos. That's yeah, because, like, allow, allow me that one time to be, like, <laughs> blasé, or not blasé, but brazen. But, yeah, and, like, um, man, like, the prints are all there as we speak, and today I got them out to sign them and, like, had them all laid out, and I was like, yeah, I should believe in myself a little bit more, maybe. <laughs> That's a great way to leave it. I love that. Um, you know, one of the best things about what we do is the element of uh, travel and getting to go to different places. And, you know, that's been a big part of your life. Uh, what's what's a place you've been to that you fall in love with and why? As, outside of music or just traveling with music? Well, traveling with music, but like a place that's kind of affected you, like... Because, you know, one of the things that I've lo I've grown to love about what we do is that it's definitely allowed me to go to places that I probably wouldn't have gone to without the context of music. Massively, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess the first place that jumps out is Austin, Texas. I'm like an Irish Jew. There's not many <laughs> And you hear, you know, you grew up in Europe and you're like, you hear all these stereotypes. And, man, when I got to Austin, I just instantly felt like, I fucking belong here, like, the, or the, at least with the people I met, and like they took me in and showed me the best of the city, and it was really the first time out outside of New York where I was like, should I be maybe thinking about staying here? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, of course, you know they have a vibrant music scene and blah blah blah, and it was cheap back then, but. Aside from Austin, um, I always thought LA would resonate with me more. And like Biggie said, great place to visit, <laughs> but it's not my cup of tea at this point in my life in terms of where I'd want to live. And I don't drive, so that's probably also a big part of it. But same here. I'm a great driver in my head without, without <laughs> a license. Um, you know, on like a Forza motorsport type of wheel. <laughs> Not the Revel, but uh, actual four wheels. But, um, yeah, I um, I was hoping for more from LA, should I say. Like, I wanted it to be like that 
80s crazy place that I'd read about. This thing, as a foreigner from America, you yeah. read these things. And like, I grew up pre-internet, so you would read books and like whatever you could get your hand on. And that early Guns N' Roses shit and Skid Row, which is my brother's era, one of my brothers, I have three brothers, but um, yeah. that was like, I was feeding that off of that from him. And, but then I was watching UMTV raps at the same time, which they would broadcast in the UK on a Sunday morning, which we would VHS and like, man, I remember the first time I saw Wu-Tang, like I was just like, and that kind of brings it back around, I guess, cause I'm a city boy and London is like the epitome of a city that was like grungy and dirty. It could have been Seattle or New York or whatever, the equivalents all mixed up in one. And I, I embraced it and being born in London and a Londoner and I, I started going out young and like yeah. going to all those places. But um, other American cities, I, I love Seattle actually. Um, any of that PCH down from Vancouver all the way down, it's, it's beautiful. If you've never done it, you should do that drive. Or, but um, yeah, yeah New Orleans to Chicago, I've always had a good time in, even though it's freezing every time I go there. <laughs> Chicago's the only other American city I would consider living in. I love it there. The people are really something. Like, it's one of those things because, like, I think because everyone views it as such a metropolis, they tend to forget it's technically the Midwest. Yeah. And when you go into every, like, store or restaurant, you really do feel that generosity all about definitely definitely um there's actually an apple's restaurant on the south side i've been trying to ascertain if it's related to us or <laughs> how many degrees of separation it is but yeah uh speaking of chicago i just do want to give a shout out to probably one of the most talented musicians i've met in the last two years that i was fortunate enough to do a, a feature on uh riley walker who is um man just supremely talented and um you should all check him out um instagram whatever um bandcamp soundcloud but um yeah he's he's like a future legend to me he's yeah. like so i mean he's a little younger than me but he's like way ahead of his his time and his his twitter account if you if you take one thing from this podcast, go follow Riley Walker <laughs> Twitter account because it will not disappoint. I'm definitely gonna do that. Yeah. Uh, before I go to the next question, I'll just mention for me. Uh, the, so the first band I worked with properly was uh, Tudor Cinema Club, and it was off the back of getting to know the Ash guys mm -hmm. and getting, oh. yeah, oh, you've, yeah, Tim, a special word there, yeah, Tim Wheeler and all <laughs> of them. And it's like you know, it's like once you get to know them, you get to know a bunch of people from Northern Ireland. And Tudor, the first band I started working with properly, and um, I would have to go over to Northern Ireland. Mm. And I grew in terms of like how you described Austin. I found myself feeling that way about Belfast, where it's become a bit of a second home. And like when I go, the welcome that I get from people. And I should point out, because sometimes people listen to this and they don't see the artwork. Uh, I'm a black guy, and it <laughs> might seem pretty goofy to say this out loud, but the thought of like being a black guy and going to somewhere like to Northern Ireland and feeling very welcome, it just doesn't feel obvious, but I'm really grateful for it. Like I, I, Every time I get to go back, it's like always, uh, it makes me feel really good about life and humanity and all that. Dude, I'm so glad you said that, because uh, I think we cannot big up the Irish whether that's Northern Ireland or Ireland Southern Ireland 
one day it will be a whole country again. But um, oh, contentious words there, sir. It will be. It will be. Uh, as it should be, but, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the uh, the people are just fucking phenomenal. Like, so not to deviate from your story, but just yeah. to add to it, I was in Dublin um, for Tim Wheeler's birthday. I was about to give away his age, but uh, <laughs> probably wouldn't like that. But a recent birthday, and um, I was in Dublin for a few days before going up to his yeah. in Northern Ireland, and. Uh, I was like, oh shit, I don't have any weed. Like, oh, the bit of weed I bought is like run out. So I called my mate, and his cousin lived in southern Dublin, a town called Swords. Drives up to me, had basically all he had on him. It wasn't like a dealer, he was just giving me what he had. Oh shit. And I was like, oh, thank you, Will's cousin. Um, <laughs> like, let me give you some money. He was like, no fucking way, no way. Like, and I'm like, he's like, hitting my hand away and I'm just like that is the epitome of like Irish people they will go out their way to make you feel at home and welcome and yeah they're amazing and the Ash people that man like especially Tim who I guess me and you are more closer with than the other guys yeah oh um, I know Mark uh, I think I know I'm closer to Mark but like I Tim's still amazing as well like I know him very well and Rick's great and yeah. they really are people like no other like yeah like no egos they and they should have egos for being what they've been doing yeah. rock stars from the age of 16 up to now and like touring the world and giving us some great anthems and yeah wow I'm glad you brought them up because yeah. they definitely deserve a huge amount of respect they're another example that I bring up to people in terms about why I think New York's particular in that sense and it could be other cities but like for me I got into Ash when I was like 15 and they instantly became like the band where I was like, oh wow, music's fucking incredible. And then it took up until the age of 19 being in uni and getting to know them and like hanging out with them regularly. And it was just kind of like, the f- how does this fucking happen? Man. Like, I'm not sure if this happens other places. Like, yeah. No, I, I think you're right about that. Um, I can only speak for London and New York because those are the two cities I've lived in for the majority of my life. But um, look at you, you were 19. Yeah. I didn't realize you were that young. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I met you, I assumed like uh, 23 or something, but um, <laughs> that's what's pretty how cool is that at 19 to be like, hey, this band, Ash, they're pretty, they're a big deal, you know, but my, I can call them my mates. Yeah. So you're ahead of the game. You're Well, at least I got into it late, so you got into it at the appropriate time. And uh, I don't know if there's an appropriate role time. It didn't mean more to me than anything else. And it was one of those things where like, um, the way it kind of kicked off for me is I saw this, so I moved here 08. And during that summer between uh, high school ending and college starting, I just went to shows for fun. Yeah. And I was already a fan of the Subways, and I saw them. And I'll never forget this for as long as I live. I was at the front as just a fan at a really shitty point and shoot. Mm-hmm. And I took photos the whole gig. And at the end of the night, I like remember being by myself, going through all the photos. It must take like 500 or so. And there were literally only two clear photos. But I remember the feeling I got from looking at those two, and I was just like, fuck, maybe I could, like, do this. Well, it's a learning curve, too, isn't it? It's like, you're, like, figuring out light, and, like, like you said, you had a shit, like, point and shoot, and it's tough in those conditions, especially when you're getting jostled by the crowd, and you probably had just motion blur on everything you shot. Quite literally, yeah. But to get, yeah, I mean, man, to walk away with anything in those conditions 
is a great feeling and like was Tim bouncing a lot at that show? Was he <laughs> jumping up and down? Oh uh, no, that singer it was the subways. The singer of oh, Bi- sorry, well, well, Billy Yeah, Billy moves yeah. a hell yeah, of a lot. He was so. jumping loads. And he's another one. I know Billy pretty well. And do you know sorry, do you know Ed Warren then? No, I don't, I don't think. He used to do lighting for Metronomy, Subways. Wait, he's done lighting for Ash as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, oh, yeah, so I've talked to him a bit. Yeah, I don't know him well, but I've talked to him a bit. Yeah, yeah, talk to him about Arsenal. And you're, you're <laughs> right but, um, he's a legend in the lighting game. And, like, man, I, I've had so few opportunities to shoot his gigs somehow over all the years. But if he is your lighting director, yeah. you know you're walking away with, like, magic. Like, I remember Ash played like a one-off show at Barry Barham like back in I want to say twenty sixteen, and our, our, our other friends of ours, the Weird Scientist guys, mm-hmm. opened up for him. But right, we, need to, was, we need to talk about them too. Yeah. yeah, and we will, we will. And uh, Ed did the lights for the Barry Barham show, and it was one of those things where like it was Barry Barham, but it felt like I was in an arena. Yeah, because <laughs> I've probably only been to Barry Barham, and let God bless Barry Barham, love what they do. I was just there for Fontaine's DC, which we talked about last week. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's great as a punter because you've got a high stage and everyone can see and the sound's great. Yeah. And they've had the same staff for years and years. But it's not my favorite venue to shoot in at all. Um, but when you get someone like Ed being the LD and then you're suddenly like, you're bathed in this yeah. glory of tiny bit of smoke, just the right amount of smoke, <laughs> like the perfect amount of backlit light, frontlit light. Exactly. You're like, Ed, can you just do every show, please? <laughs> but yeah, uh, Pixies, I saw there. Oh, yeah. 20, oh, man, 2015, I think. And that was the last show at Barry Boring where I was like, they brought in, you know, whole stage production. And it was like, whoa, I felt like you just said I'm in an arena here. That must have been but seeing Pixies in a small venue like that was yeah, pretty dope. That's fucking sick. Um, this question is a bit more on the personal side, and I'm kind of keen to ask you about it because, I mean, we talked a lot about this before we had the recorder, but you're a father now. <laughs> I am. You're also a father in regards to, you know, being a human being. Um, and it, and the reason I bring it up is because I think the older that I'm getting, and I'm seeing friends of mine, you know, have kids and that, it's making me realize that it is actually an amazing thing when you could both have a child where so much of your attention just the bandwidth of your brain goes to and you could still have a career that you love and you're doing that it's it's a juggle we like man it's it's the thing like uh, i mean people have different ways of like or outlooks i should say on like rearing child uh, children um but I don't want to sound callous, but uh, I think it, it's a method a, a bunch of my friends in the UK kind of employ where they're like, okay, we have a child, but yes, your life changes to a certain extent, but you also should have your life kind of like, dictates the wrong word, but there should be things that you don't lose just because you have a child, and there's obviously a lot you gain from having a child, but yeah, it's like on a smaller level, like for example, some of my London friends would be like, it's summer, we're going out, and kid's going to come with us, we're not going to have a babysitter, kid's going to stay with us, and we're going to be out, and I don't know, it's like, it's a hard one to describe until you've had a kid, but I'm also 
in a, a unique situation where me and my kid's mom are not together, so I have her for a week and then she has her for a week. So that enables me to continue that life that I'm talking about. Yeah. But it's it's still less than I'm trying to like make my kid aware now of like what I do as a career as a job because it's not very apparent to a four and a half year old like yeah you know even though you have images up on the wall in your apartment maybe but it's something that she's kind of learning now and figuring out but yeah I think you just got to be a dad or a mom and try and maintain the thing that you were doing before and like you still have a life or you should still have a life you know just because you're a parent doesn't mean that everything before it should stop and yeah exactly i guess maybe that's easier in office jobs because when you're not freelance you get like those like maternity paternity leaves and for us it's like it's all on us that everything that whole dime rests on us so it's like you got to get back out there and work and I, i wouldn't yeah um having a kid was definitely like this crazy trip that you're on for the rest of your life because you know that never goes away and uh, I just want to make her proud and do right by her at the same time so it's juggling those two things in your mind and like making them reality I guess is the key (laughs) but but yeah I mean I haven't been on a five week tour since she was born. I, I, I went on tour with Gang of Youths in Australia for five weeks and that was the last significant tour I've done. So I guess my life has changed because of her, but uh, maybe also at my age approaching 40, I don't want to do five weeks exactly. on tour anymore. And Even if it's on a luxury bus, it's still rough. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, but yeah. I think it's beautiful, man, because honestly, like, it's a weird thing for me to like think of try to think about the future in the context of like i hope this happens and that but like i do find myself thinking that when the time comes and i have a kid if i'm doing what i'm doing now or at least still doing something creative to any facet Mm -hmm. i do find myself thinking on a principled level it's important that the kid sees that and it's something i'm like kind of conscious of where it's like I think when a kid gets to grow up in an environment where art isn't such a nebulous thing, it's just like a practical thing. Sure. It's just changes the life a lot. It changes the outlook going forward in a very palpable way, I think. Yeah, I think that's, you actually just summed up probably what I couldn't say um, more concisely and precisely. And yeah, I agree wholeheartedly that is important. And you're right if it's just like a given like this is a thing and like there's an artistic theme running through that family then hopefully that inspires or like does something or wakes up something within their psyche that will be a positive influence so yeah. don't change ever keep that <laughs> you always see it in interviews of actors who come from families where acting or the business the film business air quotes were part of it because I, I like Jake Gyllenhaal a lot anytime he's asked about that he's just like when I was a kid, I would just be on sets, and it's just like there's nothing that seemed out uh, weird about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never actually thought about it from that side, but I should uh, listen to some of his interviews, I guess. But yeah, yeah his class. I um, I'm trying to think of examples mm-hmm. of other people that um, that rings true with, but 
We should just cut that because I can't right now. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's all right. We're not gonna cut that. I only have a handful. Like, well, really, just one more question for you. But um, you know, before we signed off, you mentioned how you were recently at Fontaine's DC, and I also saw photos that you did of. Uh, let me see. I got the band name right. Amo and the Ship Sniffers. Amo and the Sniffers. Sniffers. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Uh, tell me how your most recent assignments have been leaving you feeling like. Um, particular shoots you've done this year. Like, how do you when you're finished with a shoot? How do you find yourself feeling about it, especially like shows like this where it's like so high intensity and you know sweaty and that? I mean, if you know me, you know that I give everything to it. So I don't, I want to be fully immersed, and if that means being in the mosh pit for an hour and getting basically <laughs> battered around, but trying to hold your own ground so you can take those great, hopefully great photos, then that's just the way it is, and you got to deal with it. And like, why should the people who pay to go and see a band, the fans who are the most important thing, suffer from it. And if they want to smash me around, <laughs> then they better know that they might get a little dig back. But also, <laughs> you know, I'll also like not be in their way. But um, it leaves me feeling like satisfied massively. But then again, going back from what we talked about earlier, that feeling of fulfillment really dissipates quite quickly and it's like man like i'm in a frenzy for that next commission to come through or that next band that excites me that's new that i'm like oh man i've got to go see this lot like they look off the hook or they look like they're going to be so exciting and um yeah so ultimately like nearly every time i'm left feeling very satisfied but then also needy so i guess yeah. i'm like, <laughs> I guess I'm like, what does that make me? Uh, I don't know. But it's a hunger, though, in a way. It is. It's hunger, and it's it's just wanting to like show a band or a group in it or a solo artist in their best light, and thinking that okay, I'm capable of doing that. So give me the chance, and I'll do you proud. But yeah, yeah, no, it definitely leaves me always feeling hungry and uh, a bit satisfied, and a bit dis bit dissatisfied, I should say. Well, I mean, I'm very keen to see what you, how your photos look when you eventually end up shooting idols. Cause I think you'll fall in love with them. They're fucking great. Yeah. Well, my editor from Q keeps uh, uh, Chris Catchpole. He keeps telling me exactly the same thing. Um, They're playing Terminal Five here soon. Like either in October, November. I can't remember which one, but yeah. Yeah. And obviously Terminal Five. Who are they signed to? Uh, Partisan. Oh, okay. Same yeah. as Fontaine's. Same as Fontaine's. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, that should be. Something I should put in the diary. Yeah, um, great team there, like. Yeah, no, like, it's, that's the thing. Sometimes, because I primarily work for the UK press, the, even though I know all the publicists here, it's like, you can't just rock up without a reason to have it printed or, like, focused. So yeah, I have exactly. to bide my time a little bit more than you guys. <laughs> or the digital blogs and that. Which yeah. is, uh, well, yeah, sometimes that's frustrating because I'm just like, I want to be there doing that now. But. <laughs> Tell me this, how did it feel, we're like at the end of this, Sanjay, how did you feel talking about yourself for about an hour or so? How do you feel? Um, well, you made me very comfortable. Oh, and yeah. I got, love looking into those <laughs> beautiful eyes. Oh, there he just took his glasses off, yes, they ladies are. and gentlemen. They're brown. They're good brown. Some might yeah. say a hazel, they're not hazel, they're pretty dark actually. But. Yeah, well, <laughs> all my favorite people have brown eyes, even though, uh, yeah. My kid, my girlfriend, fiance. <laughs> um, but yeah, shit, she's gonna love it when she hears this. Um, 
it's yeah. fresh though it's fresh yeah um i feel good about it because like i guess i have something to promote which we've talked about but even aside of that if even i didn't have anything to promote in the immediacy i'd still feel thankful for anyone who wants to listen and my stuff or my my insights but um we also have a lovely voice sir i think there's people who are going to be listening by like man this guy has a great fucking voice oh, or just i should just put the irish <laughs> put the full irish on and then i might i might get a bit more love jesus christ i've never heard you do that before that's is that wow okay that was pretty spot on this one sir um but yeah no you've been an amazing uh host interviewer so um, but yeah, I did just do a, my first live radio broadcast last Wednesday. That must for those true. in the New York district, it was uh, Radio Free Brooklyn with um, a colleague of mine called Gianluca Tramontana, who is a uh, specialist in blues and uh, roots music as a journalist. But he's a radio broadcaster now and uh, a good friend, I'd like to say. He really has Montana as his last name. Tra Montana, yeah. That's amazing. Fucking I know. Bastard. And he's a fucking Italian-born Cockney English-Italian hybrid who's lived in America since 1990. So <laughs> he's seen and done a lot. But um, yeah, uh, both of you, it's been a pleasure to talk to. And uh, honestly, I could, uh, I could... Talk for longer. You, you got, you've got some more time. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely do. Well, I think we should definitely call it. But before I call it, um, this is a good last thing to bring up. Uh, so last week, I did a talk like this with our good friends from We Are Scientists. Yeah. yeah. And I brought, up, I brought up to them the fact that I'd be talking to you and I asked them if there was anything that they wanted to ask you. Oh, God. And there actually was. <laughs> there actually was. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because Keith... You know, you, you, you know how they're like. It was one of those things where, like, Keith was about to say something, and then Chris jumped mm-hmm. in, and Keith was like, that's what we want to ask. Yes. So what they want to know is, when will you be doing a photo show of them? And to be perfectly honest with you, they sounded very surprised that it hasn't, hasn't happened yet. Well, I'm gobsmacked at this, because um, these scientist boys, uh, Salt of the Earth, have also taken me on tour, and... I love their company as I'm sure you do and they they really are like special people but it's like man what do do I I gotta approach you about everything (laughs) I I recently got uh, Keith a toy for his cat Uh, now I can't remember if it was Dewey or Chuck but this cat went crazy so I think I was like a little on the outs after that because the toy got them to brought out the inner cat and this cat Ask him about the story about the feather, and he'll he'll tell you. But okay. I, was like, I was like, I never know with them guys. I know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you love me, but like, you know, you never asked me. And uh, all you got to do is ask. And honestly, that would be a, a, any of the artists I've I've had the privilege to like document on a long term basis um, would would be, uh, you know, I take it as an honor and never downplay it but man yes we're scientists um keith and chris and uh just just wonderful human beings and um yeah i would do anything for them and if that has to be an art show then so let it be oh that's a good place to leave it there man guy thanks so much for taking the time i do appreciate it thank you it's been my pleasure and uh 
I hope this wasn't uh, <laughs> too all over the place for your listeners, but yeah. No, like I say, you have a great voice. They've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>